in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, and he said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple. And my cry came before him even into his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils, and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet, and he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind, he made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. At the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Then the channels of waters were seen and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. That's probably as far as we'll get in our discussion today. This is one of the searching psalms. It is recorded here as the 18th psalm. It is recorded also as the 22nd chapter of 2 Samuel with a few minor differences. The title, it is a psalm that probably was sung on many occasions. It represents David as looking back on his checkered life 
and marveling at how God provided and took care of him. Though he was a king at the time this was written, he dubs himself a servant of Jehovah. Notice in the notice in the title, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. He regards that as a higher honor than the title King of Judah. Note, these words are not designed to please men. They are addressed to God. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. There's a, a, a point that I would call to your attention here. Twice in the New Testament, quotations are made from this psalm. Twice in the New Testament, quotations are made from this psalm, and in both cases, the words are attributed to the Lord Jesus. Let me give you an example. Over in the second chapter of Hebrews, <clears throat> the quotation that is being uh, referenced here is the second verse, in whom I will trust. In Hebrews 2, well, we'll begin at verse 9, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man, for it became him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name, unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee, and again I will put my trust in him, and again behold I and the children which God hath given me. Now it's easy to see in this quotation the Lord Jesus is speaking, and he uses these words from the psalm as his very own words. In the 15th chapter of Romans, 
the 49th verse is quoted. The 49th verse of the chapter, which we didn't get to, says, Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. In the 15th chapter of Romans, verse 8, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. <clears throat> now I hope you get the point that I'm making there. And that is that these words here attributed to David and written by him are a prophetic utterance. David was a prophet inspired by the Holy Spirit. And here the Lord Jesus quotes these words as his own as recorded in Hebrews and in Romans. <coughs> Verse 1, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. With strong affection will I cling to you as a child clings to its parent, as a wife clings to her husband, so our great God deserves the warmest affection of our heart. Do you love God? Or do you wonder if he's doing right? Do you feel like he's got everything under control? That he is acting in your best interest? These are important points. Our attitude toward the Most High ought to be one of the greatest affection. <clears throat> when the lawyer came with his question, to ask Jesus which is the greatest of the commandments and I suppose that he thought he would single out one of the ten and say this is the greatest but what he answered Matthew 22 is not one of the ten Matthew 22, verse 36, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. 
we have failed here. We might, uh, we might go down the listing of the ten and say, well, I stand pretty good there. Nobody, nobody has yet accused me of this and this and this. But have we loved God with all our heart? With all our soul? With all our mind? This is the first and the great commandment. So here David begins with an avowal of affection for his God. O Lord, O God, my strength. The 27th Psalm begins this way. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So here David says, you are my strength. It isn't because I pump iron or work out uh, or do this and that and the other that I'm strong. It's because you have been on my side that I am strong. In verse 2, we have a piling up, if you will, of David's terms of protection rendered him by the Almighty. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. <clears throat> in the 62nd Psalm, verse 6, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. A stronghold, a fortress, a place of security and concealment, David here denominates God as his deliverer. Now some of us go for long periods of time without an awareness of conscious hazard. Certainly this was not true in the life of David. Not up to this point. As an example, uh, I would cite First uh, Samuel 23, the uh, timing of this particular incident is uh, after David had been 
in the court of Saul and had married the king's daughter. Uh, the mad king was irate because the women had sung their little ditty. David had, Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousand. And the spirit of jealousy came over Saul and he threw his javelin at David, but David avoided out of his presence twice. But then it became more intense. He commanded David to be killed. And so David fled. <clears throat> and it was not enough that he flee the court. He must be pursued by Saul and his army in an attempt to exterminate him. The mad king saw him as a rival And he had enough perception to realize that God was setting him aside. He listened to the words of Samuel. God would set him aside and give the kingdom to someone who would obey him rather than disregard his commandments. In 1 Samuel 23, verse 25, Saul also and his men went to seek David. And they told David, wherefore he came down into a rock and abode in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men, of which there were six hundred David and his men were on that side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul. For Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take them. They had him encircled this time. It appeared hopeless. Verse 27, And there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. How's that for timing? Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. My deliverer, David knew what that term meant. <clears throat> None of this was wasted in his education. The one who interposes in my hour of peril. He refers to him as his God, my perpetual, unchanging, infinite eternal good. We sing, when I can read my title clear to mansions in the sky, and verse 3 ends thusly, my God, my heaven, my all.
Now, we would differentiate between those. The old people used to say, where Jesus is, tis heaven there. They did not so clearly distinguish between them. And that was correct. He uses the term here the second time, my strength, in whom I will trust. This uh, refers to a rock in the sense of immobility and strength. My sure, unchanging, eternal confidence and support. The one, the one I will trust in. Psalm 20 verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. You have heard me before. Update that just a little bit. Some trust in guided missiles. Some trust in thermonuclear devices. Whatever, whatever space term you want to put in, it does not matter what armaments are being trusted. They are not the equivalent. We will remember the name of the Lord our God. Faith must be exercised or the preciousness of God will not really be known. But God must be the object of that faith, or it is mere presumption. It is not faith in faith. It is faith in God. He refers to his champion as my buckler, the one who wards off the blows of my enemies, shielding me from arrows and swords. Our Lord provides us with weapons, both offensive and defensive. These are listed in the 6th chapter of Ephesians, beginning at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, 
having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, we're adequately provided for. Paul refers to our artillery in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, David had some very real physical enemies that were out to kill him. This is not true of you and me. But we have some mortal enemies. We call those sin. We have enemies both within and without. <clears throat> there are those who would entice us and lead us astray. There is within me an evil heart of unbelief. But the remedy for both is this armament that my God has provided. It is clear here in the Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The enemy is not certain wicked ones, certain evil plotters, those who would corrupt the truth, those who would kill believers. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And it is not proper for us to hate those. We should pity. We should pray for it. Did you listen to our morning reading? You have heard how it hath been said by them of old times, I shall love thy friends, and hate your enemies. The Lord Jesus said that's not uh, scriptural. 
I say unto you, love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you, persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father. We want to be like our Father, godly, godlike. He makes His Son to shine on the evil and on the good. He causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. David here refers to his champion as the horn of my salvation, enabling me to push down my foes and triumph over them. My high tower, an elevated citadel planted on an eminence beyond the reach of my enemies. And so David concludes that the believer is well prepared and equipped from head to foot. In the third verse, the poet resolves to invoke the Lord in joyful song, believing that God will provide in the future as he has in the past. I don't know how many of you know, but this has been cast into a chorus. The third verse along with verse 46. Do you know that? I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and may the God of my salvation be exalted. And it repeats. Uh, You ought to learn that. Uh, It just might come to you sometime when you wake up in the night. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. That we give 